Hi, and welcome to the Midlife Feast, the podcast for women who are hungry for more in this season of life. I'm your host, Dr. Jen Salib Huber. Come to my table, listen and learn from me, trusted guest experts in women's health, and interviews with women just like you. Each episode brings to the table juicy conversations designed to help you feast on midlife. Hey there, before we jump into this week's episode, I wanted to remind you that the Modern Menopause Retreat in Bali is open for registration. So this incredible event is put together by Jan and Diana of Windrose Retreats, and they have five weeks of incredible guests of which I am honored to be one. So in September, you can join me for a week at an amazing retreat in Bali, where we will undiet everything about menopause and menopause nutrition together. You can find all the information that you need to save your spot and learn about what the week will look like and also choose what amazing accommodations you will stay in by clicking the link in the show notes. And if you have any questions, make sure to let me know. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Midlife Feast. So I'm taking on brain fog today. Whenever I put a call out for podcast suggestions or topics that people want me to talk about, brain fog is always at the top of the list. And it's an interesting one because most of us, I think, go through this as we journey through perimenopause into menopause and beyond. Um, Research is, you know, somewhere about two thirds of people will experience some change in the experience of using our brain. So whether that is remembering why we walked into a room or remembering what's on our list or remembering that we even made a list. And it can also be just a change in focus. So finding it difficult to focus short-term, long-term on a task. Some of us just feel like fuzzy all the time. And so I'm excited to tackle this one today. And I'm going to do a couple of things in this episode. One, we're going to break down exactly what is brain fog, because it's not a medical term, but it's very accurate. So we're going to talk a little bit about what it is. We're going to talk about why it's happening. So kind of bring it back to those changes, especially in estrogen and progesterone. I'm going to share some information about nutrition and diet and brain fog that might come as a surprise to you and that I think everybody can learn from. And then I'm going to give some general suggestions around how can we support brain health in midlife and beyond. So let's get started. So I remember hearing the term brain fog when I was early, um, you know, early in my practice from women who are were my age now, so in their 40s and 50s, and kind of thinking, what do they mean by that? What do they mean by brain fog? And isn't that just like what happens when you get older that, you know, you just slow down and you don't think as quickly your reaction times are reduced. Like, isn't that just normal? But of course, over time and experience and then going through it myself, realizing that it's, it's kind of an uncomfortable thing because if you're used to being sharp and quick and, or at least just have a reliable brain to all of a sudden feel like something is inaccessible to you, which is how to, how it felt like to me is really scary. And so I've described myself before as, you know, I'm type A, I, I definitely have ADHD. I have always had a hard time sitting still, but for the most part, for most of my adulthood anyway, 
I am pretty organized. I am really good at keeping lists. I'm really good at using technology like reminders and schedulers. And for the most part, I think people see me as an organized person. And certainly in my family, I'm the household manager. And so I'm always the one to remember things or to make sure that, you know, something gets done. And I remember that it was in my my late 30s, which I now know I was well into perimenopause. I'd forgotten something and I, I, I can't remember what it was, which is actually funny, but I just remember that it was something big and important. And my husband, Brent, had looked at me and he was like, are you okay? Because it was the second or third like big thing that I had just completely forgotten, forgotten to do, forgotten to try and remember, forgotten that it was there. And it was like a big enough thing that it would never have been possible for me to forget this before. So I remember at that time feeling like, okay, I'm actually feeling a little scared about this. And that's often when I talk to other people who kind of go through the same thing, they'll say, yes, that's it. I was scared. I felt like, is this the beginning of the end? Is this when I like lose my proverbial mind? So I want to reassure you first. So let's start with the what is brain fog? So it's not actually a medical condition. So brain fog isn't a recognized symptom in a diagnostic list. Interestingly, having lived and worked in Canada and now living in Europe, brain fog is used more casually in medical discussions and it is accepted as a more medical casual term here in Europe. It seems like in Canada where there seems to be a bit of resistance to using it, but it is a really great descriptor. So I think it's still a good word to use when you're trying to describe how you're feeling to someone. But what it is, is it's a chain, it's a cognitive change that isn't, and this is important, that is not linked to an increased risk of dementia or Alzheimer's. So if you feel like, oh my goodness, is this the beginning of something bigger? It probably isn't. As always, this is not medical advice, so please talk to your healthcare team about any concerns that you have, including memory, because there are some other risk factors that may be true for you that you should definitely be aware of and talk about. But when we're talking strictly about brain fog that happens in perimenopause and menopause, it isn't linked to any increased risk of long-term cognitive changes. And so most people experience this as changes in short-term memory, uh, not usually long-term memory, which is a a different kind of kettle of fish. But, you know, where did I put my keys? Why did I walk in this room? What was I going to get at the store again? What did I want to ask my partner? Like all of those things seem to involve like a lot of work. It feels like it takes a lot of brain energy to remember those things. So this fuzziness, this lack of mental clarity, um, you know, difficulty focusing, which an interesting kind of side discussion for another podcast is going to be on um, the rise of ADHD diagnoses in women in midlife. So stay tuned for that. But all of these things fall under the umbrella of brain fog. Now, it can be easy to make the connection between sleep changes, for example, in brain fog. So, oh, well, I'm feeling fuzzy and forgetful because I'm not sleeping. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And maybe you're also having really heavy periods. And so maybe you're also anemic. Yeah, okay, that also makes sense. And maybe you're also experiencing changes in mood. So you're feeling more anxious, or maybe you're depressed. Yeah, that also makes sense as to why we might feel fuzzy. But 
all of those things can be true and all of those things can be happening. And also we do know that there are some distinct relationships between estrogen and progesterone and memory and cognition. And we know that the brain has estrogen and progesterone receptors. So just like the rest of our body, these fluctuations in perimenopause of estrogen and progesterone that are on this roller coaster can affect how our brain functions. So one of my naturopathic colleagues, Dr. Jordan Robertson, best described it as the evidence seems to indicate that this brain fog that happens in midlife is a learning problem. It's not a brain memory problem. And I think that that's actually a really good description because it seems like perimenopause and which, you know, can include, you know, that year up to um, the year before your last period. And for some, even the year after in terms of the fluctuations, not the, the terminology, but in terms of the fluctuations, this seems to be the period of time when women are most likely to experience these symptoms and changes. And we also know that there's an association between um, verbal memory skills, so kind of that being lost for words, and the severity of hot flashes, for example. So one study found that people who had more hot flashes in a day also had the worst scores on a verbal memory test. So again, that may not, you know, be a big surprise because maybe you're also having those hot flashes at night, meaning that you're having night sweats and maybe you're not sleeping well. But it is also very likely that it's because of these big fluctuations in estrogen and progesterone. So all of this to say there is a lot happening that can contribute to why we feel fuzzy. It is the lack of sleep. It is the mood changes. It is also the changes in in estrogen and progesterone. And I'm going to come back and comment on hormone therapy at the end. But so just to, to recap, you know, you are noticing a change in how you experience using your brain. That is not all in your head. I guess that's kind of a pun, but it is in your head, but it's not all in your head. There are reasons why this is happening. And everyone always wants to know, what can I eat that is going to support my brain health, help reduce my brain fog? And, you know, and that's a great question because, of course, as I always say, food matters, just not in the way that we've been led to believe. But when it comes to our long-term health, cognitive health or otherwise, what we eat can have an impact. But one of the things that I see, and I always take advantage of being able to call out, you know, this diet culture, wellness culture narrative around health is that we'll often see things like eat these foods to reduce brain fog or, you know, eat more fat or eat more protein or don't eat carbs or eat this kind of carb or don't have sugar. And we don't have any evidence that there is any one particular food, diet, that can or can't influence brain fog. We do have evidence for cognitive health and the re- and reducing the risks associated with dementia and also Alzheimer's with patterns of eating over a long period of time, which from that we can, you know, also tease out that, yeah, what I eat will influence my brain health and therefore may influence my experience of using my brain but you're probably not going to be able to eat your way out of midlife brain fog. So just want to kind of be clear about that. So first, 
I want to talk a little bit about the Mediterranean diet, and you may have heard this also referred to um, as the MIND diet, which is kind of the variation on the Mediterranean diet, which has, you know, found in several studies to support or that there's an association between people who have less cognitive decline or risks of cognitive decline um, later in life if they eat a diet that adheres to what is outlined in the Mediterranean diet, which tends to be less red meat, more chicken and poultry, more fish, more beans, lentils, nuts, seeds. So getting lots of those um, mufas and pufas, the types of fats that we seem to think are associated with better health, including better brain health, um, and, and less alcohol, for example, um, including some, some dairy, but not um, over-relying on it as a, as a primary source of anything, but certainly including it. But really just kind of looking at a diverse amount of different kinds of foods, those particular and especially those that are high in what we would consider kind of essential fats. So when people are asking, what can I eat to support my brain fog? I'll say, well, there's no one food in particular, but if you're looking for some kind of outline structure, recipe inspiration, or general guidelines, anything that would support including foods in the Mediterranean style of eating would be a great place to start. And they're also delicious. So I always like that too. And there is also some interesting research looking at getting a serving of leafy greens most days, slowing cognitive decline. Leafy greens being a vegetable, um, also included um, in these Mediterranean studies, but also just, you know, I think in general, most people know that getting more leafy greens has potential health benefits beyond the brain. But there have been a number of studies which have looked at, you know, in particular, people who eat a serving of leafy greens most days, also potentially slowing cognitive decline. So all that being said, we're still just talking about eating, building balance plates on a regular basis with a variety of foods that are nutrient dense. So that's kind of the takeaway from that. But the connection that I make between diet that you may not have thought of before or may not have realized is that if you are dieting and always thinking about what you should eat, when, how, why, that may be taking up valuable real estate in your brain. So I want to talk a little bit about what I mean by that. So you may have heard me or other people say that when you stop dieting, it opens up so much space in your life for other things. And that is also true with our brain. Because when we're trying to control every bite of food, because we're following a set of food rules, we're following a plan, we're tracking, we're counting, we're measuring, you're always thinking about food. So you're always thinking, how many calories have I had today? Have I tracked my snack? How many grams of carbs? What's my net gram of carbs? Have I had enough carbs? Have I had too many carbs? Can I have a snack while I'm watching Netflix tonight? Or do I need to skip supper or something at supper so that I can still maintain that caloric deficit? All of this is valuable brain real estate. And we've already established that we actually are in a bit of a, you know, it's a beer, it's a bit of a weird market in our brain at this stage of life because we are having these fluctuations in estrogen and progesterone. And we're also experiencing some pretty real changes in our sleep and our mood and our energy levels. And we might also have anemia and all of these things that why 
why would I add to my brain's burden by constantly thinking about food? So, and interestingly, this is what I often hear people say. So people will will come back and they'll say, I realize that by learning to eat intuitively and not always thinking about what I'm going to eat and why and how, that I actually have more capacity to use my brain for other things. So if you haven't made that connection before, and maybe if by listening to this, you think, "Uh uh-oh, I think that's me, then let's talk about that. Let's explore why pursuing intentional weight loss through counting, measuring, tracking, that, you know, constant feeling of I have to be on a diet. Am I on the right diet? Am I eating the right way? Should I be doing something else? That's all taking up valuable real estate in your brain. And that might feel like a challenge at this age and stage of life. But I also want people to know, and I've been, you know, saying this for a while now, that for most people, it gets better. And we also have research to support that. I knew six months before I was able to actually ring that menopause bell at one year that I had reached a new normal in terms of how I was feeling. And I was quite confident and certain that I was not going to get another period. And one of the big reasons is that I felt like I got my mental mojo back. So I had spent, you know, three or four years feeling like I was, I was doing okay. And I think other people would look at me and be surprised that I I would describe it this way, but I felt like my brain was just walking through sludge most days. You know, it was, it felt like a slog just to get the usual things done. And I did not have any capacity for anything creative or extra or more. And I really felt like it was so hard just to manage that day to day. And then literally all of a sudden I woke up one day and I was like, okay, here's 18,000 ideas that that I want to start tackling. Now that's my ADHD brain for sure talking, but also I was actually able to kind of think in the way that I used to think about things. So it will come back for most people. That is the experience that I've also heard from others that like, yeah, I wake up one day and I realize that, okay, I'm, I'm feeling more like myself again. I'm feeling like things are kind of back to normal. Do I think that I have the reaction time and memory capacity of my 22 year old self? No, but I'm okay with that too. But I feel much more confident in that the learning problem of midlife is mostly on its way out for me. So what else can we do? So we've talked about the Mediterranean style of eating, and we've talked about some of the things that might be important there. And I've hopefully introduced this idea and it maybe kind of just inserted this little idea that planted the seed, I guess, that maybe thinking about food all the time is actually hurting your ability to, you know, use your brain in this age and stage. But there are some other things that I think are worth mentioning. And one question that always comes up is, well, what about hormone therapy? If the problem is these fluctuations, then can hormone therapy help? It might. And there certainly is some early evidence, um, more recent evidence that, you know, for some people, this could be uh, an important strategy for managing brain fog. Of course, we know that menopause hormone therapy or hormone replacement therapy is very valuable at managing symptoms, especially hot flashes and night sweats, um, can be, can make a huge difference for some people with sleep and mood as well. And as we talked about, these are all things that play into brain fog. And so it makes sense that maybe the hormone therapy can 
be helpful. But if you're like some, if you're someone like me and hormone therapy isn't something that you've been able to or want to choose, then what else can we do? This is not going to be a surprise, but movement or exercise, whatever you want to call it, but regular movement is probably the most evidence-based recommendation for anything. And it makes sense with brain fog and cognitive health because when we're, you know, when we get our heart rate up and this doesn't mean that you have to be, you know, killing yourself at it, but you know, when you get your heart rate up, that increases the circulation to the brain, which helps to deliver more nutrients. We also know that, you know, movement uses our brain in a way that keeps it, you know, kind of active and clears the cobwebs out. So whether that's walking, whether that's some kind of other structured activity, all movement counts. So the rule of thumb is do find what you like, do it as often as you can in ways that you enjoy. And you will support not just your brain health, but of course, your overall health. There is also some evidence for some types of cognitive behavior therapy. So especially if you're having, um, if you if you feel like you're in a loop with it of these negative thought patterns, especially. So, you know, some people can get really, really concerned and really just down on themselves and about menopause. And it can feel like a really big hole to dig yourself out of. So in combination with other types of therapies, CBT can be really helpful in helping to break some of those patterns and maybe also kind of just teaching you some of the ways that you can work on improving um, not just memory, but uh, mood in general. We've talked about diet. We've talked about nutrition. Um, It's probably not a surprise if you're a regular listener that um, I, I just don't like to put so much emphasis on eating the right thing all the time and perfectly. Otherwise your brain is going to wither and die. That is the message that we get all the time, that food is so important. We have to do it perfectly and we have to be thinking about it. And we're a bad person if we're not. Nutrition and food is the long game. Let's say that again. I'll say it every day. What you eat matters, food matters, but it doesn't have to be perfect. And it doesn't have to be followed to a T. So even when you see a list of 10 foods that will help to preserve your cognition, great. Have a look at them. Look at them and say, yeah, I like those. That's something that we eat. That's something I would like to try and learn to cook with, or that's something I would like to have more often. And approach it with that add-in mentality that we talk about in intuitive eating. How can I add these in more often? I don't have to cut anything out. I don't have to make a plan to never have other foods or only have the foods on that list. I'm just going to try and see if I can add them in more often. And stress, of course, is the is kind of the last thing on this little list. And I think that, you know, it's another word that's thrown around a lot. But again, when we're thinking about what is the role of stress? Stress as a response is a survival response. And so when we're feeling acute stress or chronic stress, chances are there's a perceived threat to our survival, whether it's real or imagined, right? This could be the stress of a deadline or it could be like an actual threat to your survival because of something, um, you know, your own health or someone else's health or whatever it is. But the point of this is that our brain gets very focused on what do I need to do right now? It's not thinking what can I do to take care of myself in 20 years? Cause it's just thinking, okay, I need to like manage the here and now because that's what the stress response is. It's how can I keep myself safe and alive today? So if you're feeling stressed, you may not have the brain capacity 
the mental capacity, the emotional capacity to really just kind of think about all of the other things, right? So it's very hard to think about including leafy greens every day if you're feeling stressed all the time. It's very difficult to get a good night's sleep if you're feeling stressed all the time. And so stress management as an overall health practice has a lot of benefits. And especially if you're feeling distracted and feeling pulled in 8,000 different directions, adding in things like mindfulness, yoga practices, restorative yoga, deep breathing, meditation, all of these things will help in some way, either short-term or long-term. So the take-home message is that there's no quick fix, unfortunately. You know, we don't have strong data for any one particular thing being the best for brain fog. But I do want you to know that you're not alone. It's a very common symptom. Not everyone, but at least two thirds and probably more are experiencing this symptom at some point in their menopause transition. We do know that it is temporary for most people and is not a sign of worse things to come. It absolutely impacts our day-to-day experience in very real ways that make it uncomfortable and distracting. And what we eat can make a difference in supporting our cognition and our brain health long-term, but also how you're eating may be impacting you more today than you may have realized. So I hope that this episode has maybe given you some reassurance, has given you some things to think about, and has, you know, as I always say, given you some food for thought. And if you're looking to maybe just understand a little bit more about some of the practices that we can put in, if you're looking for ways to, you know, include mindfulness, if you're looking for some recipes and and support in implementing some of the things I've talked about, um, mental health and cognitive health, I guess is a better way to put it, is on the menu in the Midlife Feast membership in um, April. And I would love to welcome you to our community, which is a cozy place full of lovely people. And we're all in this together. We're all in the same age and stage. So whether you're perimenopausal or postmenopausal, you will find a community that is ready to support you. And I'm there to support you too. So thanks for tuning in to this episode. If you have any questions, as always, let me know. And I hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Midlife Feast. For more non-diet health, hormone, and general midlife support, click the link in the show notes to learn how you can work and learn from me. And if you enjoyed this episode and found it helpful, please consider leaving a review or subscribing because it helps other women just like you find us and feel supported in midlife.